Hello, everybody, and welcome to the For the Win podcast. It is Tuesday, the Tuesday after the Super Bowl, so of course, I had to bring in our NFL guy, our NFL guru, our NFL guy who just uh, finished an amazing season's worth of work. It is Steven Ruiz. Hi, Steven. What's up? I'm doing good. We got a good Super Bowl, which is all we can ask for. But first, before we get into everything, we got to hear from our, our awesome sponsors over at Pro Flowers. And I got to tell everybody, uh, Pro Flowers and, and, and Sherry's Berries, they sent us a, a really awesome sample of what, what I'm about to talk about. And I got to tell you, they were super duper impressive. Uh, they sent us a box of roses and some of their chocolate covered strawberries. And they were incredibly amazing. The, the presentation's gorgeous. Comes in a big box, and then you can kind of put it. And it got it's got instructions, which I love because I have a lot of flowers. I buy a lot of flowers, and they they go on me. And now I know from them how to how to keep flowers going in, in vases. So um, this is great for Valentine's Day, and really exciting news for anybody who's looking for a Valentine's gift. Uh, so Pro Flowers and Cherry's Berries have teamed up to help you really impress your Valentine this year with the perfectly paired collection. Go ahead and think inside of the box this Valentine's Day. This re- it really is a one-of-a-kind gift. Your flowers and dipped strawberries will arrive together in a beautifully, specially designed box that will keep your flowers fresh and your berries cold, guaranteed. Right now, my uh, the listeners of the Foy Win Podcast can save 20% on any one of their perfectly paired combinations or any other gift over $29 with the promo code for the win. Uh, and this is awesome. This is, again, like I said, we got a sample. It looks amazing. Uh, my wife was like, oh my God, these flowers are incredible. The, the, the strawberries are incredible. Um, and I concurred. It was great. So hurry and order today because Valentine's is next week. Uh, there's only one way to get 20% off a perfectly paired gift over $29 featuring beautiful blooms from Pro Flowers and freshly dipped strawberries from Sherry's Berries. Visit proflowers.com today and enter the code for the win at checkout. That's proflowers.com, code for the win. All right, Steven. I was sitting with Steven uh, for the Super Bowl, uh, which was great. We got to see each other. Um, it was a pretty fun Super Bowl, obviously. What's our, you know, your sort of your takeaway of, of the Eagles winning and beating uh, Tom Brady and Belichick and, and the Patriots? So, obviously, I wasn't too surprised. I had picked the Eagles to win by a touchdown. They ended up winning by eight. I was surprised how easily both teams moved the ball particularly the Patriots, how they they did a great job of protecting Brady. I saw after the uh, game, they had, the Eagles had apparently gotten pressure on 40% of their snaps, but I didn't, I didn't see that. I don't know about you, but it seemed like Brady had plenty of time. Maybe he was just making quick decisions, but he played, he played well. And I thought I personally, I thought if Brady had a great game, the Eagles had no chance. And that wasn't the case because Nick Foles was brilliant again. Yeah, I, I, my lasting impression of the Super Bowl will just be how much of an offensive onslaught we saw and how there was no defense, and I kind of thought that was perfect for an NFL-loving crowd because, you know, all we've been hearing for two weeks is how good uh, the Eagles' front seven has been and, and was, and, and their secondary, you know, suspect, obviously, but, you know, you figured that the front seven could carry them, and there was just none of that. And the Patriots also were um, defensively not that great, uh, as you can see. I mean, uh, they... they they didn't really do what they, they could do, um, but I always thought that the Patriots' defense was suspect to begin with. Little did I know that that Nick Foles would have just the game of his life. I mean, you knew. Steven said it on our podcast uh, last week that, that he thought the Eagles were going to win this game by seven, So and he, he was not far off. Congratulations. 
Yeah, but again, I didn't think it was going to happen in that way. I thought it was going to be a dominating run performance, and I mean, they did run the ball well, but uh, they didn't run it as much as I thought they would. And we'll get into when we get into the Malcolm Butler thing. I'll, that was pretty much by design for the Patriots. But uh, yeah, I was not expecting the game to go down in the the manner in which it did. But no. this, I got the score right, so you I'll did. Take- that was incredible. Um, I also kind of my biggest takeaway from the game was just the the, the sort of the and, and everyone's written about this so i don't want to belabor, belabor it but it really was a gutsy doug peterson game like those fourth fourth down calls which uh i think we were all calling for out loud at the television gotta go for it you know the, there's the you know obviously the the play the throw to nick Foles um on fourth down uh, at the goal line which is you know easily the gutsiest call maybe ever in football um, not to mention a gutsy play call, uh, but also that that sort of late in the fourth quarter where, you know, they ran the ball a few times and suddenly they, they have to go for it on fourth down, which was absolutely the right call. Uh, that said, it's gutsy because we saw what happened with the Falcons last year and they weren't gutsy. And we saw what happened with the Jags last week and they weren't gutsy in the second half. So I'm starting to think that, that Doug Peterson looked at the tape and he said, you know what? Just pull out all the stops. Keep the ball away from Brady. Do not let him have it late in the fourth quarter. And it, it worked out. And Peterson has been aggressive all season. I think they had attempted 17 two-point conversions all season, which I think was the second most in the league. So it wasn't really a change-up for the Eagles or Peterson. He even I think he said after the game, you, you go 8-8 eight and eight by not coaching aggressively, and you win the Super Bowl by coaching right. aggressively. And that's exactly what happened. And, we yeah, like you said, those were the right calls but they were gutsy because NFL coaches don't always make the right calls. The right calls, like mathematically, it's been proven that kicking an onside kick every time is the right call. Going for it on, going for two every time is the right call. Going for it on fourth down in most situations is the right call. And NFL coaches don't usually do that. So to see Peterson not play by the book and just go for the win was refreshing for me. Yeah. Oh, it's so great to see. It's so great to see, you know, when, when you think that stodgy NFL coaches are just going to keep doing the same thing. And then this is a sort of a refreshing, uh, a, a fresh breath of, of air. And of course, I'm still stumbling on my words because I still have not cut off on the sleep <laughs> from that night. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about specifically is, you know, the, the joy of having Stephen behind me um, while, you know, we were sort of in, in a, a little area of the USA Today offices in Washington, D.C., um, was, uh, you know, I, I think I heard, and, and Stephen, you can correct me if I'm wrong, him mumble, that's not an RPO. He was pointing to a few plays that, you know, we heard um, Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth repeatedly talk about uh, run play options, RPOs, a ton. And, and you kept saying, no, not that wasn't an RPO. Like, how much were those plays, which are ones that you talked about last week on the podcast, how much did those factor into the game or not? I haven't really looked at, I haven't really focused on the Eagles offense yet. I'm probably do that later in the week uh i've been mostly focused on the patriots defense so far uh in reviewing the game but on the first drive i was kind of paying attention to it i rewatched the broadcast and they had mentioned rpos five times on that first drive (laughs) and i think i I was keeping track they had they properly properly diagnosed an rpo once on the drive and they misdiagnosed two and they didn't even mention three that had happened because mostly because they uh, the Eagles had handed the ball off, so you don't really notice it. You just think it's a run. So yeah, they were having a hard time uh, diagnosing these RPOs. But in fairness to them, it, uh, and it was mostly Al Michaels. He's not really a, 
I mean, he's a play-by-play guy. He's not Chris Collinsworth who studies this stuff. Collinsworth did a decent job. at He misidentified a couple of them, but he did a decent job for the most part. But in fairness to Al Michaels, the Eagles do such a great job of like blurring the lines between their RPOs and their play-action passes. So I don't really blame him for for misdiagnosing these plays. Just defense, defensive backs, players that have studied the tape for a whole week, do it all the time. So I can't blame Al Michaels for messing that up. Yeah, uh, no, I, and I thought they had a fine game. I thought, you know, uh, frankly, I thought Chris Collins was saying, like, I give up about replay stuff. I was like, yeah, I think I, I yelled at the TV. I was like, I agree with you. Like, uh, you know, nobody knows what a catch is. It sums up basically how fans feel, how the players feel, how everybody feels about the definition of a catch. And I'm, I'm, I'm going on a tangent here because we were talking to RPOs. But just sort of I've seen the, the criticism of Chris, of Chris Collinsworth a little bit. And I'm like, no, he had, a, he had a great, you know, he had a good game. You know, I don't think there was anything that, that they did that was particularly negative. Um, and I think sort of saying, like, uh, if this gets overturned, we have no idea what this means. Like, everybody felt that way. And I think that the fact that, that we sort of saw what, what Zach Ertz did where he became a runner, which is something you said in the middle of the broadcast during that, that replay. So, well, he became a runner. I was like, yeah, th- there you go. There's your, there's your definition. Made kind of everybody feel better a little bit. But still, it's, it's good that, that Collins were called out. I, like, I give up. <laughs> yeah, I, the only thing is I think he made that I think he made that play harder than it had to be. I think mm-hmm. if he would have said, if this gets called back, then I give up, then I would have been right there with him. But I thought it was pretty obvious that it was a catch, and I, I, I was kind of confused at his, his confusion. I did, I thought it was clear. It was to, a totally different situation from the Jesse James catch. Yes, completely. James d- did not complete the catch before going to the ground. He was still kind of hauling it in, and Ertz took. He turned and took two steps, and then dove it. And yeah, well, I, I didn't think it was a comparable situation. Yeah, yeah, we've had conversations about this earlier on the podcast, early in the year, about you know the, changing the definition of what a, what a catch should be. And I know that you're you're a little bit more on board with how it's written now, right? Yeah, I don't. I, I think I think people just want to see more catches. I think if they made it more inclusive, if like that Jesse James was the catch was ruled a catch, I think no one would complain. No one complains about catches that are ruled catches. They only complain about the incomplete. Right. And, and another, by the way, and, and that, that br- brings me to one of my favorite things that happened on Sunday. They got swallowed up in, in, in the Super Bowl, uh, which was the XFL tweeting out a few videos like their rules. And one of them was like, in the XFL, the catch is going to be catch. And I was like, this is going to be interesting. Like, here we go. The, the XFL is already taking, taking a little shot, you know, two hours before kickoff. Um, <laughs> yeah. Let's get into Malcolm Butler, because I know you've written your either it's about to be published on the Internet uh, as of this recording or it has just been um Talk about you know the the benching the sort of the speculation. What was your what was your takeaway? Vilichek said I think it was on Monday. He said there is a lot of thinking that goes into uh, the benching, and mm-hmm. I ended up like when I started writing this post, I wrote, I wrote a post just about this about just trying to think from Belichick's perspective, like why would he make this move? And I did not intend it intend for it to be like an in-depth thing and it ended up being like 1600 words so i agree with belichick there's a lot that goes into it and i think uh you have to go back to belichick's first the first time where people really became aware of belichick was in that super bowl when he was the giants defensive coordinator against the bills he came up with this great game plan it's actually in the hall of fame now to stop the bills and his game plan was 
pretty it was as surprising as his game plan for this Super Bowl in that he wanted the Bills to run and he's quoted as saying this he wanted the Bills to run as much as possible just to take the ball out of Jim Kelly's hands so he put in only two defensive linemen and then the rest of the players were defensive backs and linebackers so he was inviting them to run and he took a similar approach in this game only it was the exact opposite he was he wanted Nick Foles to throw it as much as possible and he I think the way he decided to do that was to take Butler off the field and then replace him with a, a third safety which was Patrick Chung so they had three safeties out there Chung is more of a run stopper than a a pass defender and then he kept Eric Rowe out Eric Rowe usually starts in that in that slot role but he kept them he put him outside because he's a bigger he's a bigger defensive back Malcolm Butler is like five nine and three quarters I think he was measured at before the draft Eric Rowe's I think six one so he's a better he's you know he has he's more physical and I think that was the game plan put those physical corners defensive backs out entice the Eagles to run the uh, to pass the ball so the, so it doesn't become a game where they can grind out the clock and keep the ball out of Tom Brady's hands. And it becomes a Nick Foles, Tom Brady shootout, and that's exactly what happened. So you have to say the game plan kind of worked, although I don't know if it, it – it didn't work to the degree that Belichick probably thought it would work because right. Foles, Foles did what he did. Right, Foles had an amazing game. And, and it's really interesting. So let me sum it up for you. Is it that – you think that that maybe his benching now? Look, there could be news that comes out in the next week where it says you know Malcolm Butler was, was you know was disciplinary, whatever it could be. But mm-hmm. absent of that, because we don't have that for sure yeah. yet, we haven't seen. I'm it. just assuming that that's not the case because Belichick. I feel like Belichick would have just he could end all of this and just say yeah, it was a disciplinary thing. Right, right. So right. So let's assume that, that that that's not the case. So you're saying that maybe the benching was a total strategic move on Belichick's part. Yeah, that's what I think. Interesting. I, we've seen him do. He, he did this against the, the Bills, like I said. It's he wanted. I don't think he wanted it to become a grinded out game because that's the Eagles' strength against the Patriots' weaknesses. I think he wanted to put it on the strength of his team, which is Tom Brady putting up a bunch of points, and then the secondary is where they spent all their money, all their cap money. That's the strength of their team. I think that's what he wanted. He wanted to turn it into a shootout, and that's exactly what happened. But what they just. Mean- yeah, wouldn't Go he ahead. know though? Sorry, I, I just wouldn't he. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, wouldn't he know that that Eric Rowe is not that good, and <laughs> that the Eagles would pick on him all night? Like that's that's what I would do. And I'm not. I'm the farthest thing from an NFL offensive coordinator. But I would sit mm-hmm. there and be like, Hey, there's a guy who you know is not as good. And and the other the question I have for you, and we'll get to that in a second. Just answer me about the Eric Rowe thing, and then I'll ask my Malcolm Butler question. Like, wouldn't Belichick think about it? Like, ah, you know, maybe I don't want to put in the guy who's going to get picked on when Stephon Gilmore is the other guy on the other end. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I think that I think Belichick's thinking again. I'm trying to get into the mind of like the greatest coach ever, <laughs> a genius. But I think his thinking was probably that Eric Rowe matches up better with the Eagles' receivers because Malcolm Butler has a lot of he has a lot of problems at the point of the catch at the catch point just because he's he's small. Like he gives up a lot of contested catches. He's he has no problem sticking with receivers. It's just you know getting the ball away from them. He has a problem, and I think Eric Rowe does a better job of that. He's he was played in the slot, so it's not it doesn't really suit his his like physical skill set. He's a bigger corner, so playing in the slot doesn't you know slot corners are usually smaller because slot receivers are usually smaller. So I think that kind of has to do with why he he didn't play so well this year. But I thought he played actually played well in the Super Bowl. I know he was picked on, but he made a couple of plays, including I think on the first drive, the last play of the drive, he 
uh, batted the ball away from Jeffrey and forced a field goal. Then he had another pass breakup on third down later in the game. And even the touchdown he gave up was just a crazy catch by Alshon Jeffrey. Yeah, Malcolm Butler. True. Malcolm Butler isn't making a play on that. He's five ten. He's not going to jump up and get the ball away from however tall Alshon Jeffrey is. I think he's like six three. So I I don't think Rowe played that bad, which is the reason why I don't think Belichick ever really adjusted. I think he got exactly what he wanted. He got a shootout. And he got the Eagles into a lot of third downs. They just kept converting. I think they were 10 of 16 on third down. So if they just stop him on third down, then this this game plan looks genius. But that's not what happened. Yeah, uh, and you actually answered my next question, which was, and I turned to you during the Super Bowl, and I was like, uh, Malcolm Butler didn't play that well this year, did he? And you said, ah, oh, he was actually, he was okay. Um, yeah, he didn't. He really, I don't think, he didn't play well. He didn't play good enough to make you think he'd, play well against the Eagles' bigger receivers. Like, last week he played. He, the stats don't really reflect it because Blake Bortles didn't – because Blake Bortles is Blake Bortles, so he's not going to take advantage. But I went back and watched that game when I was writing this post just to see if he played poorly, and that's why they benched him. And there were a lot of plays where he was just lost in coverage. Like, he gave – he was like 10 yards away from his receiver, and he got – he gave up a catch similar to that Alshon Jeffrey catch. And then in the – the Jaguars threw a lot of like receiver screens and stuff, and he was just getting blown away by blocks. He was getting pushed back like ten yards. So I just think this was a bad game for Butler to be in. Like I, I just don't think it was a game for him. And that's really interesting because uh, I think a lot of people are blaming the Patriots, like because Malcolm Butler wasn't in, they lost. Like no, I don't think it's that black and white. And I don't think Malcolm Butler would have made the biggest difference. And also, I think Malcolm Butler's um, reputation is 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 based partially and again like he's he's a good player not a great player but partially on the fact that he made one of the the best interceptions and he knew how to do his job to use the parlance of 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 bill belichick to make you know the interception that that um won the patriots super bowl a few years ago so like you know i don't know it it seems to me like the malcolm butler hype was like huge uh, then and it's kind of come down and now it's it's obviously tanked completely which which is good timing for him because now he you know uh he's going into free agency right yeah and that's another thing that's another reason why i think the the discipline angle just doesn't make sense to me i mean if belichick was thinking about it you know he's getting criticized plus butler's going to free agency if you say it's it was a disciplinary thing maybe that drives butler's price down that might be a cynical way to look at it but you would think Belichick would take that opportunity, being the GM. Yeah. No. I. Yeah. I'm not buying it. Uh. And and we'll get into the Eagles in a second. Uh. We have to hear from another sponsor first. So so let's get into this. Uh. Let's keep the ball rolling, shall we? Uh, everyone knows how important stretching is before an event. So does Mattress Firm. Except it's your dollar. Your budget stretches farther. Uh. Further. When you're shopping at America's Neighborhood Mattress Store, it's a true home run, and you'll have a ball. They're the head coaches when it comes to mattress expertise, but know this. They are more than mattress experts. They have a game plan that helps you transform your mattress into a bed, from adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and bedroom decor. They have you literally and figuratively covered up like your favorite cornerback. Go to mattressfirm.com podcast to see what deals are happening. They even offer you a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and a 
120 night low price guarantee so you know you paid the perfect price talk about a one-two punch a knockout if you will score big with the perfect bed head to mattressfirm.com podcast to get the play-by-play on how you can monumentally improve your sleep tonight today tonight and tomorrow all right which brings us to Back, you know, you, we were talking about Malcolm Butler, uh, and we're talking about the Super Bowl here with Steven Ruiz, our, our NFL writer and uh, a studier of much tape. Um, I, I wanted to kind of get back into sort of Nick Foles and, and Carson Wentz, something that you were you were talking a lot about on, on Super Bowl Sunday, wrote a little bit about. Um, where do we go here now with the Eagles, sort of looking forward? I mean, there, I, I don't think there's like trade trade one and keep the other, or, you know, uh, I don't know, that there's a co- quarterback controversy, right? Like, I don't buy that storyline for one iota of a second here. Yeah, I don't think there's a controversy at all. I think Lentz is clearly the starter. He's also cheaper right now and will be for the next couple of years. So I think Wentz is clearly the starter. The question for the Eagles this offseason is how is he coming along? They have to, I think they have to figure that out sooner rather than later then they can decide what to do with Foles. But right now, if I'm them, I'm thinking about trading them because I don't think his stock is going to be any higher. Right. And there are, what, like six quarterback needy teams this offseason. I know there are a bunch of, there are going to be a bunch of options, including Kirk Cousins and guys like Teddy Bridgewater. But Foles just, just look like, just outdueled the best quarterback ever, I thought. I mean, you can get something for him. They don't have a second or third round pick this year because of that Wentz deal. So I think they can get that back if they deal fulls this offseason. Absolutely. I think that's the best move ever. I mean, you take the guy who just won your Super Bowl. And it's funny to me because I think it's, it's, it's obvious to everybody that Nick Foles thrived in – the game plan. Did you, you didn't you write something about this that like like Doug Peterson wrote up like a very specific plan based on what Foles was doing with Chip Kelly? Did I read that from you or is that somebody else? I kind of got got into that, but yeah, they they're doing a lot of stuff that Chip Kelly was doing with Foles back in 2013. Like one of the plays they ran over and over again was a play they ran over and over again back when Kelly was caught was That's in right. Philly. And yeah, they ran it probably that least four times during the game and they ran it throughout the playoffs and i think that's that was the kelly influence and then you have the, the run pass options so yeah they they really tailored their game plan to to fit full so i'm not I, there may be some teams that are like skeptical of how successful he's been and how successful he'll be outside of peterson's system but i still think a team is going to be I don't want to say dumb enough, but I'm going to say it's dumb <laughs> enough to, to give up a lot for Nick Foles. Yeah, I, I agree with you. They should they should see right through it. Maybe like I, the Cardinals seem like a smart team. I don't see them doing it. Um, and, of course, the carousel, we have to see what happens with, you know, Kirk Cousins, who may be kept for some odd reason by the, this, the Redskins, I guess maybe for trade bait. I don't know. Um, but you have a lot of teams, yeah, you're right, that are absolutely uh, desperate for a quarterback. And, uh, you know, Foles, maybe they, they adopt some system, but you can't just take Doug Peterson's system and just implement it. It seems to me like you have to have the personnel, obviously, and and, uh, and the smarts. And um, I think Nick Foles did a tremendous do- job, and he deserves all the praise and everything. But you're right. It's Carson Wentz's team. It's Carson Wentz coming back next year. Uh, and I think this team is primed again to contend. I, I don't see any, any reason why not, right? Yeah, and before we get into that, I just wanted to – I, I think the best team for Foles is would be the Giants just because they have Pat Shermer now and he was Chip Kelly's offensive coordinator. <laughs> Obviously, Gettleman has already said that they're going to stick with 
Eli Manning another year, so that's not going to happen. And I think another uh, team that would that he'd fit well in is the Jaguars because they already run a lot of this stuff with Bortles just because he's a limited passer. I think it would allow them to open up the offense a little more. And they have a good offensive line. They have a good running game. They have receivers that can do stuff after the catch, like the Eagles. So I think he'd fit fit in well there. But apparently they're committing to Blake Bortles for another year. They're going to waste another year that defense. I don't get it. But, yeah, if those were the two teams that I think it would make sense for them to chase holes. The other teams, I don't think he's going to look as good as he did during this postseason. Uh, are you trying to kill me here? Did, uh, and I heard that smile uh, over over our airwaves <laughs> when you were talking about the Giants. The Gi- we just talked about how dumb it would be for a team to pick up. And you're talking about the team that I root for, picking up Nick Foles. Uh, in all seriousness, I get what you're saying. Uh, obviously, with Pat Shermer, that would make sense. But, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, going back to the Eagles, obviously, uh, uh, the idea of trading Nick Foles, I think, uh, you know, there would be no uproar. I think – Quite frankly, I think Nick Foles would welcome it. You know, won himself a championship. And now it's time to, you know, lead a team on his own uh, the way that he did with Chip Kelly. And uh, we'll see what he can do. And it's just amazing to me that, you know, Nick Foles under Chip Kelly for that one year was spectacular and over the top. And he didn't do anything elsewhere. And now we're talking about him being a starter caliber quarterback. Like, it's a really good story to talk about with, with Foles. I think it's it's it points to something I've been writing for the last couple of years that the most important thing for good quarterback play is to put him in the right system. Mm-hmm. We, the Foles is just the best example of that. <laughs> Those, this, the two years he's been in this offense, he's just looked amazing. And the other years he looks like he shouldn't even be a backup in the league. Yeah. And, and that, that so, speaks to coaching. Yeah. So yeah, build around your quarterbacks, coaches. That's you hear that Mike Malarkey don't, put Marcus Mariota in a 1990s offense. <laughs> That's a really good point. And also, and this is the last point I'll make before we move on to the next thing, uh, and you can, I'm sure, agree with this. I think you've written about it, too, is, is coaching. Uh, you see you see just how important coaching and system is in the NFL when you see the Eagles win a championship like this. And, and you know, we, we can sit here and talk about Blake Bortles obviously being terrible, but, yeah, to be frank, like, he was surrounded by a pretty good team and was able to kind of uh, get that close, this close, to a Super Bowl that way. Um, coaching matters, and, and in the NFL, it, it's it's huge. I, I don't know if people ever disagree with that, but if, if there are people who doubt it, you know, and, and especially with a coach who was, who was killed on the Internet uh, for being, like, the worst pickup of, of any coach that year, you know, with Doug Peterson— the idea is like he won a Super Bowl, so you know when you when you know you, you worry about who your coach is going to be, you should worry about it, right? Yeah, and it's it's just another example of it being hard to to judge a first year coach that had been a coordinator, just because you don't know how what they're going to do when they become the head man. It's just it's it's all guessing, and it was with Peterson. Everyone just expected him to be the worst hire that year. I I probably did too. Uh, I know. I think Michael Mike Lombardi, the former Browns uh, GM, said that he's the least qualified coach ever, which yes. is an extreme statement, and obviously proven wrong two years later. So yeah, just don't judge these coaches based off what they did, did as coordinators. It's a completely different job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk uh, props for a second because you and I broke them down. We, uh, you know, we, we wrote them up. Um, any prop bets that you were shocked by or like amused by i mean i know one that you were amused by which you know was it the the, the pink uh 
the the pink not <laughs> flying anywhere during the national anthem, which was maybe the easiest bet of the Super Bowl. Uh, any other ones that you were you know surprised, shocked, intrigued by? I was shocked by Donald Trump not tweeting more. Yeah. I was sure that that was going to hit the over. I don't. I don't remember. I, I didn't go back and check if he ended up tweeting after the game. But I know, like in the fourth quarter, he was only at one tweet on the day. And I think the over under. What was the over under? Was it four and a half, five? five? Yeah, and I was hitting the over hard, and I, it wasn't even close. Yeah, and obviously the pink, the pink going airborne during the uh, national anthem. That was a gimme bet, and the odds weren't that bad. I think they were minus two hundred, so you yeah. had to bet. Two dollars to win a dollar. I just, I regret not just putting every penny I have in my bank account <laughs> on that. It, maybe even adding in the the Eagles winning straight up. I would have been a rich man. I wouldn't be talking to you. That's for sure. <laughs> there you go. You heard it here first. Um, I think my favorite bet of the night that I'm I feel like kind of an idiot that I didn't hit it harder was was will um, will Justin Timberlake sing a Prince song. Because in in a rush, you know, Super Bowl week is a little crazy for those of you out there who don't write about sports. Um, it's just there's a lot of stuff going on, and you're kind of like, you know, looking at all different facets of the game and all kinds of things. And and you know, obviously Steve and I weren't there, but you know, the, this is this is the internet, right? Like we have to cover everything. Um, and I just forgot, plain forgot that the game was in Minnesota for that. Like I didn't make the the, the Prince in Minnesota connection. I was like, ah, you know, Prince, you know, passed away a couple of years ago. Like, why would Justin Timberlake pay tribute? It's a no for me. And he ended up doing it. And of course, like hours before the game, I wrote about how um, Sheila E, the former Prince drummer and and artist in her own right, um, tweeted that she'd spoken to Justin Timberlake. There would be no hologram of Prince. And I was like, but. If he spoke to Justin Timberlake and Justin Timberlake like kind of hinted that there was no, you know, that there was no uh, hologram coming, but like you know they were talking about a Prince song, he's definitely going to perform it, um, and he ended up doing it obviously. And if we had bet on that a week ago, we would have made some good money. I was sort of like, oh man, like missed opportunity completely. Um, so that was another one that was huge uh, for me. Um, missed point, uh, extra point attempt. I wrote this up in our, our sort of our breakdown of the of the post game uh, props. Uh, plus four hundred, you would have you would have made a really nice chunk of change there if you had bet on the missed extra point. Yeah, that's another regret. Uh, and then the pink going under on the national anthem. Once it came out that she was sick, should have just the money should have been pouring in on the under. Yep. She's not going to carry out those notes if you're sick. Right. I mean, that's a really a really good point there. Uh, she got really close though. A minute fifty three, I believe, was, was what it was, and the over under was two. And I reminded everybody the last three uh, Super Bowl anthems went over two minutes. So I was like semi convinced that it would go like two oh one because if you know if other artists you know and I look pick we we know she she you know she does not have to carry out every note. But you're absolutely right. If you are sick. You gotta do it. Uh, you got You gotta bet the under. Any other? Any other uh, ones um, that you would have picked out? I t- I totally got the Gatorade wrong. I, I try to go with the Prince route and, and think they were gonna <laughs> do purple. I think it ended up being orange. It was yellow. I thought. Oh, it was yellow. Yeah, yeah. it was yellow. I was really excited because I was like, oh, yellow is the best flavor. It's what all the players. It love. is the best flavor. I think. I feel like it's like the most refreshing. Yes. It's the most neutral, also. So yeah, that makes sense for a sideline when you're trying to appease 80 people yep and and uh the last one that i i, I loved was um uh, the, the color bill belichick shirt um you and i both put together sort of like all right 
you know, he, you said it and I was like, oh yeah, totally. Um, I, when I realized that he wasn't going to be wearing a hoodie indoors, which is something you said, I was like, oh, it's going to be blue because last year he was indoor, indoors and he wore blue and he ended up wearing blue. So uh, I don't know if we helped listeners and readers make money, but if we did, you're welcome. All right. Anything else uh, to add before we, we end it? Uh, what a Super Bowl. The, uh, it was it was pretty incredible. Yeah, it was an entertaining game. It was interesting from an X's and O's standpoint. It was everything I wanted it to be. And I got the gate and the prediction right, which makes me happier, obviously. <laughs> uh, Stephen, what's your what's your, uh, uh, what's your your Twitter tag where everyone can, can check you out? The Stephen Ruiz. That's R-U-I-Z. Check out his stuff. Uh, there's lots more to come from Stephen, I imagine, this week. Uh, Post-Super Bowl, he's going to watch the tape. You know that means he's going to find some interesting nuggets. And thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll be back uh, with you soon.